0: And visitors, we're glad that you're here and appreciate you coming. Good to have Pam Chamberlain back in our services after those back-to-back back back surgeries uh, six weeks ago or so. Acts 18. started in the very first verse. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message today. I pray, Lord, that you would control what I say, how I say it. Help me to say uh, again, true to it. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Lord, use your word this morning and your spirit to strengthen us, to draw us closer to you, to meet the needs that are here. Lord, we know our answers for what we need are found in your word and in your strength. So I pray that you would do a work for us today. I pray this time would not be in vain. And Lord, for those who are present who have never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week I started this message but was unable to complete it. We see Paul has left Athens and he is now in the city of Corinth. Athens, he was, was dealing with all the intellectuals and and, and in Corinth, he has a whole new battle taking place, as this, this city of Corinth is just a, a wicked city. It was known for its debauchery, it was known for its vileness, as I mentioned last week. Even when the Greeks at this time, when they put on different plays and performances and their arts, when they were playing somebody from Corinth, in every single one, it would be somebody who was just vile, a drunk, a prostitute. It was, Corinth was still a key economic city during this time frame. It was the capital of the province. If you remember last week, I showed you a picture of that giant hill that sits off the side here where that fortress or that temple was on top. And, uh, and we talked about that, how every single evening, 1,000 prostitutes would be sent down into the town of Corinth from that temple. That was what they considered their ministry. So it was a vile place. It was a wicked place. And Paul finds himself... Um, in Corinth, he is, he is discouraged. He is alone. He, was, he, he certainly needed the Lord to encourage him. And that's what we we're looking at. Looking at the main point I want you to see today is this one. It comes to Paul, and it's true for all of us. God knows. He knows right where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows when he needs to act, when he needs to work. Uh, we, we talked about all that Paul had been battling on this second missionary journey. All that he has been going through. How he had started off and, and traveling back into Galatia and and um, reporting back to the churches he had started on the first missionary journey. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord wasn't giving any clear direction. The way he wanted to go, he intended to go. The Lord had shut the door and he's just traveling. And he finds himself, uh, uh, you know, up on the, uh, uh, up in the, Very west coast there of Asia. He's right up there and not knowing where to go. Then the Lord provides a vision, the call into Macedonia. And so Paul brings the gospel into Europe. He stopped at Philippi. We looked at what happened in Philippi with Paul being beaten uh, thrown in prison, and then he's off to Thessalonica, a riot ensues, he's run out of town in Thessalonica, he gets to Berea, he gets the church started in Berea, the Jews come down from there, he gets run out of town in Berea, and when he left Berea, at that point he was alone. And I believe, I believe that's when the discouragement was setting in. And he comes down to Athens, and he was going to wait there uh, for Silas and Timothy to report back to him, because they're back in Berea at this point in time. And so while he was there, they did show up, but Paul. once they arrived, Paul sent them right back out again. So you can see Paul's selflessness when it comes to ministry. They show up, but Paul was very concerned what was going on back at Thessalonica and in Berea. So he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, Silas heads to Philippi, and Paul heads down to Corinth. Fifty-mile journey down there. And again, he finds himself, again, he's alone. We think that it's very likely he was even physically ill at this time. And, and discouragement setting in but the Lord was going to work. We got through the first point last week. There's three things the Lord does to provide encouragement to Paul right now. He's going to provide partners, he's going to provide product, and he's going to provide his presence. And we, looked at the, we looked at the partners last week, and what I meant by that was friends. He shows up in Corinth, this vile, wicked city. And much to Paul's surprise, there's, some, there's a husband and wife there that are already converted. Not only are they already converted, they happen to be of the exact same trade. Working with leather, tent makers. You can just imagine that, that encouragement to Paul as God provided these people at such a critical time in his life. Aquila and Priscilla would go on to be friends with Paul the rest of his days he would use that that couple in ministry. And so just amazing the Lord's timing. Not only did that, Timothy, uh, Silas and Timothy show up, and they both have really good reports about what's going on in Thessalonica and what's going on in Philippi. So much so, remember, he was having to do the tent making, but when Silas comes in from Philippi, uh, Philippi, that, that church that got started with Lydia getting saved, that convert, and then we got the jailer and his household with that core group there in Philippi, they send an offering back. He's getting supported in his ministry. What an encouragement that would have been to Paul. And then we read how Paul was pressed in his spirit. When all this is taking place, there's a measure of encouragement that comes, and he gets serious about the work. And that's pretty much where we left off, was right there. And so now we're going to pick up how the Lord encourages Paul with product. And what I mean by that, he's going to have some key fruit for his ministry. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 and see what's taking place. This is Paul. He is coming into the synagogue and he is teaching and preaching. He was trying to demonstrate, as we learned in verse 5, as he always did, convincing the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Verse six says, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice and uh, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. We see how the Lord is once again going to encourage Paul, but this time through fruit in his ministry. Paul has been going in for weeks into the synagogue, trying to reason with them, proving to them right from the word of God that this man, Jesus Christ, that they heard about back in Israel was in fact the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Trying to get them to come to an understanding of why he wasn't here to set up political freedom for us, how that isn't time for this, why he had to come, why he had to suffer, why he had to die but it just seems he's getting nowhere. We see in verse 6, he leaves frustrated. It's a dramatic scene that takes place. He basically leaves them with an insult, letting them know, I am done with them, I am through with this. The phrase that's given in the verse, where it says they oppose themselves, is interesting. It has the meaning of organized opposition. In other words, they were getting together and figuring out ways plan. It wasn't just out of the blue. They were organizing how to stop Paul, and Paul is trying to give them truth. He's trying to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. This organized opposition comes up, and Paul, with everything that's been going on, he's had enough. He's had enough. They didn't want the truth. They were fighting him. He shakes his raiment. This is showing his result. Henceforth, I will have nothing to do with you. I am free. I, I, I am not guilty at all of, what's going to, of what you're about to face. You can just see it. His frustration. He puts their condemnation on them. Picture it. You might think the way Paul leaves, that he might even just head out of Corinth altogether. At least getting to the other side, or at least going back to Aquila and Priscilla's house. He leaves frustrated and mad. But look what takes place. He departs. And nowhere he goes, next door. Next door. By the time he left the synagogue, in minutes, in seconds, his heart begins to change. We've all been there getting so frustrated at a situation we just get t- we're just almost tired of the fight we've been trying this over and over and we say we're done but then like Paul we sort of take a moment take a breath and realize that isn't the answer I wonder if Paul didn't remember if the Lord, of God's Holy Spirit didn't, didn't smite his heart as he stepped out of the synagogue and remind Paul, Paul, you were one of them. You despised it. Paul, you gave consent to the death of Stephen. Paul, do you remember his prayer? As you were killing him? Listen, when we get frustrated in situations, it's always good to stop and remember one, in a situation like this or something similar, this could easily be you. The answer is not to give up. Usually when we're frustrated, we tend to make bad decisions. Don't give up. So as Paul left, God's Spirit no doubt got a hold of him and And besides the fact, his own love for his own people. And he goes next door. He literally goes into a house that is joined to the synagogue. And what a crucial decision that would be. What a crucial decision that he he decided, I'm not going to let bitterness come in. I'm not going to let anger control this. I'm not going to let frustration control this. Because even though he hasn't seen the fruit... He's getting ready to have a major convert. He heads next door. My guess is, I wonder what he did when he first went in next door. Part of me thinks he's simply, no, I say, do you mind if I stay here? Things just did not go well just now. I think he prayed, Lord, please deal with my heart. Give me the patience that I need for this situation. While he's there, though, perhaps it was his words when he left that the Lord happened to use. I don't know. But the chief ruler of the synagogue wants to talk. And it is the chief ruler of the synagogue that ends up coming to know Christ. Not only him, his family with him. I mean, think of that. Think of Paul, the frustration, and here it is, perhaps the same day, or no doubt within days, he's sitting down with the chief ruler of the synagogue. And he comes to Paul, wait, I want to know more. I've been listening. I've been looking in the Scriptures. I've been seeing what you're saying about this man named Jesus. I see how it is in the Scripture. Tell me again. And to see Paul when he's there... And you know what it's like when you're leading somebody to the Lord and you see them get it. You could just see maybe Christmas was there as the understanding's hitting that the Messiah has come and all that he actually did in his first coming and becoming sin for us. As the tears streaming down his face and Paul realizing this is it. This man gets it. He's going to convert. And then he hears that man place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His wife says, wait, I want it too. His children, he's the chief ruler. It, it's, it's out, I, I've already covered that in the book of Acts. I'm not going to do it again. These are in no way proof text for infant baptism. He's the chief ruler. This is not a 25-year-old. This is a man whose children would be adults by now, teenagers at the least. And so his children, how many ever there are, say, wait, I want this too baptizing a family. That would shake up that synagogue dramatically. Wait, who got saved? We're not talking about a guy who's faithful every now and then. Who comes maybe you know once a month, a couple times a month that we see him. We understand him being converted. They would say, Oh, he was never strong to begin with. But this is the chief ruler of the synagogue. Could you imagine the encouragement that would be to Paul? Incredible. Again, this conversion of this respected man, this respected leader, would have been stunning to that community. Multitudes of Corinthians also end up placing their faith in Christ. It's amazing how the Lord can use some key people. Uh, when in in and one of the times that I was doing uh, an evening of... Uh, Evangelism the whole village. I'll, I would get a Christian film, set up a projector, a screen, bring out a generator. I'd meet that, that, Every village has a has a place where the village meets once a week to discuss um, village issues. So it was in that location I did it. Set up some lights, set it up, and when I when I would do that, the entire village would show up. And then once it finished, I would preach. And so I had preached. Um, that evening, and, and we had several people come to service. The next day was Sunday morning from it. And I sat down with one of the men who had come. He was visiting his daughter and son-in-law in the village. He was from a village about about three, four hours the other direction. And so he was, he was probably in his 60s at the time, probably 65-ish. And we began going over the gospel. And he wanted to hear and listen and listen and listen. And he put his faith in Christ. I come to find out that I know the village that he's from. Called, the village was called Lokan. And he, in that village, there, it was a strong Catholic village. And he was the Catholic catechist, if you know what that is. So they have one priest on the entire island. Um, the priest even had grandchildren on our island by the time I was there, by the way. And so they would set up in their village Catholic churches, if you will, a catechist that they would train, and he would look over that village work. Well, he's the Catholic catechist, and he came to know Christ. And he left it immediately. He, he was already here, you need to come. Come up to the village and preach. It had an effect to see that. By the way, much like when this chief ruler, guess who also got saved within weeks? His daughter, his son-in-law. His daughter and son-in-law became key for the work in Kudu They still are to this day key in that church that's going on right now. And by the way, do you want to know how encouraging that was? The Lord provides that many times. I mean, I, no doubt when, when Christmas converted to Christ, you know what it reminded Paul instantly? It's worth it all. It's worth it all. Paul, what's happening right now, it's worth the beatings. It's worth the imprisonment. It's worth the time, the sacrifice, the frustration. It's worth it. I mean, really, think what's taking place right now. This man and his family, as well as the Corinthians, their eternal destiny is changed. It's changed. This isn't a fairy tale. I mean, we all will enter eternity, and Paul knows, this is why I'm preaching, this is what it's about. And he sees this man coming to know Christ. Not only that, even the purpose that he, while he's on earth now, he's no longer uh, uh, um, living his life for a vain religion. He now understands what life is about. And there are so many times you can be so discouraged, but then the Lord steps in. Listen, if you're a Sunday school teacher of your ministries, you're faithful to witness that work, don't quit. Stay at it! Another story comes to mind, because that, that this one will always be very special to me. And, and I know, I think I've told this one here before, but it's probably been many years. It was, a, just like every Sunday, ridiculously hot out, 95 to 105. And remember, I preached at the two works, and so we get in the vehicle and we head out, and I get just a couple kilometers from the house, and I notice we just passed the bridge, and I'm hearing a really bad noise in the undercarriage of the Land Cruiser. So I stop and I get out and I'm trying to go see what's going on with it because it's a Sunday. I'm going to be pretty much the only vehicle on the road. So it's it, getting stranded is no fun. We've been there many times. And so I'm, I'm back so I'm looking up and I can see what's going on and it's a stabilizer bar. And I've actually used my belt before to establish those on time. And I thought well, I can probably get by with this. And uh, and but then also while I'm looking, I can all of a sudden and the vehicle's not moving. Keep that in mind. All of a sudden, while I'm looking, I hear, and I come out, look around, and I'm watching my tire go flat. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I quickly turn the vehicle around before it gets completely flat and get, get it back up to my house. And, and I determine, okay, I'm not going to use the anchors. I got the old white truck, the very first vehicle we got when we were there. I got the old white truck, and I said, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll use that um, if I can find spare tires for it. Because even though they're black tires, this is no joke, my kids can tell you, they're there. They were so worn down. I mean, they're worn down. All right? You could just about use a black tire as a mirror when you're looking at it. And, and so um, I was able to find only one tire for a spare. I always travel with two. I had many, 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 many flat tires. And I, said, and I said, well, I don't have enough fuel for it, so I've got to find fuel. I said, well, I, I, so i got fuel for my generator. I put the fuel in. And by the way, by this time, I am already sweating, burning up. I'm, I'm going to miss the very first service, the church in the village of Soho. And I'm going to miss it. That's fine. I already have a guy trained, ordained at that work. I just preach first, and then he comes in and does two services uh, I'm after I do. He's in the first service I'm in, of course. And so they'll understand. They know I'm late. They'll see me drive by. I only have to stop and tell them. And so we get back on the road. And, and I know one thing that is good. That the village of Coudacuda, if for whatever reason I'm late, they know it's I'm providentially hindered. They'll sit there and wait the day. And so I head out there. And we're getting out. We're almost there. And flat tire. I head out and I change it. I'm drenched in sweat. I'm dirty from being on the dirt road and changing the tire. And at that point, Marianne had even said, "Why don't we just go back? We don't have another flat tire." I said, "No, we're almost there now. We're almost there. Change the tire. I am tired already, literally drenched, just completely drenched in sweat and filthy. We get going. I'm, I'm not even a kilometer down the road, and the engine dies. And at this time, I'm not understanding. Frustration is building. I'd not say nothing." I get out there, and I did realize by the sound of how it died. I think I knew it was going on. It's happened to me before. I could by this time I'm there. This time I think I've been there ten years, and I figured the filter. It's a diesel engine. The filter. There's a little spring filter coming out of the coming out of the other side of the fuel filter, going into the engine. And sometimes that would get clogged. So it sounded like that. And it's just a few Allen wrenches. So I take it off. Sure enough, that thing's clogged. I clean it up. I get going again. And right as I took off, it started right up. Right as I took off. A man named Stephen that I knew stepped right out of the bush. Right out. And I called him over, and he had a towel with him, he's heading to the river to wash. And I said, Hey Stephen, I said, Why don't you come to church with me today? And he, he was a, a few years younger than I was. Married and everything like that. I said, Why don't you come to church with me today? And he said, I will. And he jumped in the back of the truck. By the way, keep in mind if I have the land cruiser, more than likely he says no he wouldn't be comfortable getting in the vehicle with us but in the back of the truck he would and he said yes take him to church we have services that day i preached i finished preaching and what you know when i'm given the invitation i'm dealing i've covered the gospel i'm dealing with anybody like to talk about this more heads are bad eyes are closed what you know one hand goes up stephen i want to know more And I bring Stephen over myself. I cover the gospel again. He's in tears. And he says he wants to put his faith in Christ. He does right there. And then both of us now are crying. So I went on to tell him all that God did to make sure I was at that spot when you had come out of the bush. You know what it did for me at that moment? It made it worth it all. It made it worth it all. Do you know how many times that we act in frustration that we actually miss what God is doing? Because we head to the other side of Corinth. We don't take a step back and say, no, that could be me. Think of all the patience and grace that God has shown in your life. So God gives Paul a great deal of encouragement because Paul now has seen multitudes of lives changed. Then we see verses 9-11, through the third and final way that he encourages Paul when he gets to Corinth. Verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. By the way, think of that verse 11. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to bring it up right now before I get into the main point here. As we looked at everything that's taking place on the first and second missionary journey, look how long he gets to stay in Corinth. Eighteen months. Eighteen months. So, here is the third and the greatest way that the Lord is going to encourage Paul. Isn't it amazing that when the Lord does encourage, it, it's, it's not just a little bit of encouragement. I mean, it's just amazing what God does. God now, we see promises Paul his presence. He gives Paul a vision. This is actually the third vision that Paul has been given. He had the one, of course, when he got when he was saved. Um, he had it, the Macedonian call, which wasn't necessarily directly from the Lord, but nonetheless a vision of God. And this one, again, from the Lord himself. The Lord encourages him and says, Paul, don't you stop preaching. Be not afraid to speak. I mean, you, you could understand where his heart... The guy was human, even though Paul... It is incredible how, the, the, the dedication, the selflessness that this Paul had, that this man had. But you can see something must have been going on in his mind. I mean, after all, everywhere he's going, he's stoned, he's beaten, he's put in prison, he's chased out of town, and there's riots. And the Lord tells him, Paul, don't even think about it. Don't you stop. Keep going. Don't let anyone, not those in Athens, uh, don't, let you, don't let those intellectuals stop you, don't, let you, don't even allow all, all that you're seeing in Corinth, you preach. Don't be intimidated. There are so many times that we can grow weary as we're following the Lord, and times we fail to realize that we're actually making a difference. You don't even see the difference that you're making. Listen, if you are following the Lord and and, and humbly serving Him, whether you realize it or not, you're making a huge difference in the lives of others. Again, many times we just don't see it. It reminds me again of my, the, the, the movie by tradition since I've been a, a boy that I watch every Christmas Eve. Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. Where he never realized the influence that he actually had on the lives of others. Just allowing the frustration of everything taking place. But in truth. I mean, if you could see, if you're serving the Lord, how He's using you. Don't forget how sovereign God is. How much control he has. How you don't even understand that those who are watching you, those that are seeing you. I mean, again, I think back to that email I got what, 20 years after high school from a guy I never knew was even watching me. No contact since graduation. He's sending me a quick thing. Hey, uh, just want to know, you were right. Saved at age 31. Sorry for being, uh, what was the word he you? Sorry for being belligerent to you in high school. I had no idea he was even watching. You don't know those you are influencing. And by the way, I promise you the devil does. He'll try and use those frustrating moments to get you to quit. Stay faithful. And so God comes in here and he promises Paul his presence. Look at this. Verse 10. For I him with thee. Really, just that statement alone is all Paul needed. It's all any of us need. Verses come to mind like Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Look over there at it. look. Over there at it. Think of these verses right now with what Paul is facing. I'm going to read one other verse with it. Let me get there. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse 6 with it. If you remember, a lot of people memorize verse 5. Memorize verse 6 with it. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Think of verses like this, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The promise of God's presence. Look over with me in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. I want you to see this. The devil is a master at getting God in our minds abstract. As if it's, we believe it, but it's almost like it's not real. That one day it will be real. Look at Joshua here. Let's see, for time's sake, what do I want to start reading? I'm I'm going to jump down to verse 5 of Joshua chapter 1. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Jump down to verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. This was another man in need of great encouragement at this moment. Moses has died. Joshua is referred to as Moses' minister. Whenever you saw Moses needing something, Joshua is the man there. He was not only Moses' minister from time, he was a very young man. He was the general. Has they had the battles and the wars, Joshua is the general of those campaigns. You could just imagine, with the way they fought war, all that Joshua's eyes have seen. The brutality, the violence. The man that he has given his life for thus far has died. It would be easy for him to get into the mindset to allow discouragement and depression to come in. That almost the reason that I have been living is gone. This was my job. This was my occupation. And the Lord comes to him and reminds him, no, you don't understand. It's not Moses you ever needed. It was me. It was me. And he promises them in verse 5, verse 9, Joshua, I am with you. The promise of his presence. Do you understand? You and I have that. That there is absolutely nothing going on in your life that God doesn't know better than you. Brother Terry, the Lord knows right what's going on with your daughter. He's right there. The promise of His presence. I don't know of a greater comfort than simply knowing God is there. This makes all the difference. I don't, I don't have time for it this morning. and it's, It hasn't been that long ago since I gave it. But for those of you who know it, just think of the Dorito story. Everything taking place, uh, the, the first year, so brutally rough. And it changed with a simple bag of Doritos because it was how the Lord used that to let me know, hey, I'm right here. I know where you're at. Just that thought literally changed everything at that moment. Knowing God knows. He's right here. The Lord comes to Paul and he promises him his presence. With that comes his protection. He says, Paul, you're going to be in Corinth. Nobody's going to lay a hand on you. Paul, look at what's taking place already. Much people, all these Corinthians, there's Aquila and Priscilla are there. You have justice, you have Crispus. And look at the time the Lord also gives Paul right now 18 months. 18 months. Again, think of what he's been through beaten, scourged, stoned, imprisoned, chased out of town. And the Lord comes with such great encouragement. From being weak, discouraged, possibly even sick, all this occurs, encouragement now arrives. Seeing meeting new friends in Aquila and Priscilla, Timothy and Silas coming back, reporting on how well the churches are doing. Seeing these converts, a key man like Crispus coming to know Christ. And then the Lord Himself coming to Paul and reminding Paul, I am with you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay faithful. With whatever it is you're battling, know this. You trust the Lord, He knows. Stay faithful. Don't allow a frustration of a situation to change that. Stay right. And as I close this this morning, this message was for those who do know Christ. We have the promise of His presence. Hebrews 13 and 5, 6 is for us. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never. Never. But perhaps you're here and you are not His. I remember I was, I was, when I was preaching as a... This was in my teenage years or young Air Force? This was still when I was a teenager. It was when I was a teenager. I started preaching at, that, at the nursing home every day. And the activities director for the nursing home was one I got to know pretty well because she was the one that allowed it to take place. And we were in a discussion before one of my services had started... And she, she was a really nice lady, and she had said to me, she said, we're all God's children. And, and, of course, keep in mind, I'm not a 53-year-old pastor by this time. I'm really just really beginning to grow in my faith. But I said, actually, I, I don't think so. I think we're all God's creation. But we're not all God's children. See, many times we get the idea that all of us were God's children as I preached on Wednesday night. Sometimes we get the idea, God wouldn't judge me. Oh, yes, He will. He certainly will. Do you understand that there is only one way of escape from that judgment? One. There's not multiple roads. There is one. You say, that's that's narrow-minded. It, it's not. It's, it's the only thing... In the universe, that has been given to satisfy the justice of a holy and righteous God to save you. You see, because when you stand before God at judgment and He judges you based on His law, and He will, that's exactly what He tells us in here. I'm going to judge you, I'm going to use my law to judge you, and it gets worse because you're guilty. And so you're going to stand there at that jug. He's going to open up a book. There's nothing you can say. You're just going to see your guilt, the remorse, the regret, the condemnation. You know what's coming. And literally cast into a lake of fire. I don't believe in hell. You will that day. Go jump off a flat top and start screaming you don't believe in gravity. Let's see how well that does for you. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in order to save you from that judgment, you see, something had to take place. In order for God to save you, and it's incredible, in order for God to save you, it's not a matter of saying, God, I'm sorry. That doesn't satisfy justice. Something has to take place where you stand before God and it looks as if you are perfect. Without sin. I mean, the Bible says in James chapter 2, if if you've broken one law, you're guilty of all. If you've offended in one point, you're guilty of all of it. And so something has to take place. You stand before God where you look perfect. God made that possible. Know what he did? He became a man 2,000 years ago. As a man, he lived the perfect life. So now, for the first time in human history, and the only time in human history, you have a man who lived on this earth, could go to that judgment, and the Father could say, you're innocent. He's the only one. He's the only one that fulfilled the law. He's the only one that met the requirement. He lived that perfect life for you. You see, when He went to the cross... He took all of your sin upon Him as if He was the transgressor. And the Father judged Him. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took your judgment to satisfy justice. He defeated death and rose again the third day. Now listen, He took your sin, but the Bible also teaches us the same time He takes your sin... He gives you His perfect life. It says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This is why He is the only way. He is the one who satisfied justice. He is the one who met the standard of holiness. He is the one who bore your sin. He is the one who lived a perfect life and offered you His righteousness. That's not found in your religion. That's not found in the waters of a baptistry. That's not found in your good works. It's found only in Christ. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you are seeking any other entrance to gain salvation, to escape that judgment, you have been deceived. It is only in Christ alone. He died for you. He took your place in judgment to give you His perfect life. If you will come to him in faith, he'll save you. If you'll come to Christ that repents of faith, realize it's not this, what I've been trusting in is wrong, I need him, he'll save you. With heads bowed and eyes closed.